Well guys, welcome to our brand new series, Ever Wonder Why. And so we're gonna be asking four questions in the next few weeks that not only kids and teenagers ask, but we as adults ask. Have you ever asked a question that you believe was so hard that you were even afraid to, to ask it? Um, or maybe you had a doubt so big that you felt like you couldn't share it, especially with, with other Christians? Well, I believe it's time to ask some really tough questions, especially coming out of the pandemic. I really feel like this is some questions that we're going to be asking, especially as we begin to get back into the normal routine and getting back to a very fast-paced style of life. Now, have you asked this question, why did God let it happen? Why did God let it happen? Have you ever doubted God? Have you ever doubted the goodness of God? Have you ever been told as a Christian that you're not supposed to doubt God or doubt the goodness of God? We've been always instructed, hey, have faith in God. Have faith in the goodness of God. It's all going to work out. But I wonder if any of you like me, have you doubted in a moment when you experienced something that was unfair, unjust, it didn't seem right, and you thought, how can I see God? How can I see the goodness of God when my life is falling apart? If God is so good, then why did this happen? It might have been when you lost a job or maybe when your parents divorced. It could be when a spouse or a parent betrayed you or maybe when a loved one died unexpectedly and prematurely. It might have been when you asked the question, God, why don't you take away my migraines? God, why don't you take away my cancer? God, why don't you take away the temptation? Or it could be, God, why am I still dealing with depression? Or maybe it's just an ordinary everyday moment and you're thinking, God, I'm doing my best. I'm doing what's right. How in the world is someone that's, I would consider bad, how do they get away with things and how do they become richer? How do they become wealthier? How do they become this, this, and that? And yet I am struggling. I'm hurting. I try to hurt. I try to help people. I read my Bible. I give. Why, why are things going so sideways in my life? Or maybe it's none of those issues. Maybe you're on social media. Maybe you're on the news and you just begin to see different things. And you're wondering, God, why do you allow innocent people to starve? Why do you allow innocent people to go without water? Why do you go, why do you allow all this to happen? Why do you allow kids who are innocent to suffer? Why? Why are all the wars? So, we're not the first ones to ask these questions. In fact, 300 years before Jesus' birth, there was a guy by the name of Epicurus. Epicurus was a Greek philosopher, and he became very disillusioned by the gods. And he was a 20-something, and he began to investigate God, the, the Jewish God, and our God. And he came to this conclusion, and he asked the question, but really this is more of a statement he makes. Is God willing to prevent evil, but not able? Then he is not omnipotent. If he is able, but not willing, then he is malevolent. If he is both able and willing, then whence cometh evil? If he is neither able nor willing, then why call him God? So Epicurus came up with really three possibilities about God. God is incapable of stopping evil or he is unwilling to stop evil, or he must not exist because evil exists. Now, we're going to navigate our way through the Bible this morning to find our direction. And I believe this to be true. 
The problem with evil and suffering is not contrary to the story of the Bible. It's central to the story of the Bible. Pain and suffering, evil and suffering is not contrary to the story of the Bible. In fact, it's central to the story of the Bible. Following Jesus makes sense of, it gives meaning to, and it offers a solution for the evil and the suffering we experience. So in order to embrace that idea, it's going to be really wise for us to use the Bible as our foundation. It's God's word. Now, it's very true, and I would agree with our critics, the Bible doesn't avoid pain, evil, and suffering. I would completely agree. In fact, as you read through the story of the Bible and the different stories within the story, we see countless of expressions of anguish, confusion, rage, with suffering and pain. And let's look for four of them. I mean, these are good people, godly people who are struggling. In the Old Testament, we find Jeremiah, he's a prophet, and he's labeled a weeping prophet. And we find him wailing out to God in grief because of the unrepentance of his people. Like, the way that God dealt with the nation of Israel is that if you had a really evil king and he led the people in a different direction, then he would punish them. He would discipline them. He would allow them to go through suffering to get their attention. And so that meant that there could have been really good God-obeying people, law-abiding people who were going to suffer because the majority and the leadership of the nation were evil. And so Jeremiah is weeping out and as they're being overcome by another nation and being taken into slavery, they're going through a war and he says, my heart, my heart, I writhe in pain. My heart pounds within me. I cannot be still. Have you ever found yourself in that place? You're constantly emotionally and physically pacing around. You can't find any peace. For I've heard the blast of enemy trumpets and roar of their battle cries. Waves of destruction roll over the land until it lies in complete desolation. If you've ever fought in combat, I believe you probably understand the picture that Jeremiah is painting. Suddenly my tents are destroyed. In a moment my shelters are crushed. He's like, man, I already lost my home. Now I'm losing my temporary home. How long must I see the battle flags and hear the trumpets of war? Then as we see in the in the New Testament as well, David. David was a, was a king and a man after God's own heart. In fact, this is a guy who loved God, worshiped God, wrote many songs that the people of Israel would sing publicly about God. And we find him praying this, O oh Lord, how long will you forgive, forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? God, I feel like I'm doing everything I can and you don't see me. How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? I don't feel well. Sorrow in my heart every day. I'm depressed. I don't want to wake up. How long will my enemy have the upper hand? He's talking about a physical enemy who was powered by a spiritual enemy. To turn and answer me, O oh Lord my God, restore the sparkle in my eyes or I will die. Look, I, God, I need you. I need you to give me that life again. I need to be able to get back up. I need to be able to get moving again, but I can't. I need that spiritual life. And then also in the Old Testament, there's a guy by the name of Asaph, and he's a prophet. And if you've never heard of Asaph, you're not alone. 
Um, there's actually in the book of Psalms, which is a song book that the Hebrews would sing publicly, 12 of those songs were written by Asaph. And he was a gifted musician. He was a poet. He was a songwriter. And yet he said this, truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. And he explains why. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. I wanted to be like those evil people because they live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. And then he begins to unload. He he says, what does God know? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life at ease while their riches multiply. And then he's honestly asked this question, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. He's like, God, I don't know if I can keep doing this because it's not getting me anything. In the New Testament, one of the troubling stories is John the Baptist. John the Baptist has a call on his life, and not because he's a Baptist, <laughs> he's a baptizer, and he was to baptize people who believed in his message, and his message was simple. It was, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So he's pointing to the future Messiah and King, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then Jesus comes. And he's baptized by John. And then he begins to speak. He begins to teach. He begins to heal. He begins to do things. And John's like, I'm not sure this is the guy. Because he didn't meet John's expectations. And instead, he actually asked Jesus this question, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Because I don't think you are. Or should we keep looking for someone else? Someone like John still struggle with doubt. So today, we're, I want to see us ask some weighty questions. And we're not going to have clear and clean-cut answers, but I do believe that we're going to be able to respond to the questions through God's lens and hopefully allows us to critically think. So one of the most common questions that you may hear, maybe, maybe you've been asked or maybe you've asked yourself, if God is good, if God is loving, then why would he allow suffering? If God is good, and then why would he let someone who didn't know, didn't do anything wrong, go through what they're going through? And then the final question is, then why would God allow it to happen? So if we summed up all three questions, it would be this, one single question. If God is loving, why would he allow suffering? If God is loving, why would he allow suffering? So here's what we know to be true. I believe you know to this to be true. If love is a choice, suffering is a possibility. If it's possible to love, it's also possible to hurt. So let's look at that like uh, logically and biblically. So um, it's important to understand that the only way that love is possible is to have a choice. Like it's a choice to love. And the theological term we use is free will. And free will is simply the ability to choose. So in other words, if you have the ability to choose love, you have the ability to choose hurt. If you have the ability to choose what's right, You have the ability to choose what's wrong. This is what makes evil and suffering possible. 
so why did God give us free will then? It's a good question. Free will is the only way that love is possible. If, if God didn't give us the ability to choose, then we couldn't choose to love him. If, if God wanted a rock or a robot to be in a relationship with him, he would have made that happen, but he didn't. He wanted and desired a relationship with you and me who bear his image and we're made in his, like we bear his image. We were created with purpose, on purpose, and for a purpose. And God's character not only shows love, but is love. God is love. He invites us to receive his love and to choose to love him back for who he is. So the challenge is this. In order for us to have the freedom to choose love, we also have to choose, we, have, we also have the freedom to choose evil. And when we choose evil, we choose what the Bible calls sin. And what does sin do? Sin leads to pain and suffering. So for God to remove sin and suffering, evil and suffering, he has to do one of two things. Either he has to remove our freedom to choose or he removes us. Now, a question that most people don't ask, but they should ask is this. If there's no God, then who decides there's evil or right and wrong? So how many of you have brothers or sisters? We have a brother or sister. Do you love them? Have you ever fought with them? I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. Uh, my brother next in line to me is Nick. And Nick and I fought each morning growing up. As we were getting ready to school, ready for school, uh, we were eating cereal together. And I'll be honest, I struggle with that because Nick was a lip smacker. And I'm sure some of you know what I'm talking about. Mm. And I would say, stop it. And he would ignore me. He would continue. And I'd say, listen, if you don't stop, I will punch you. And my mom heard us, she came in, and then she eventually separated us. She said, Jeff, you eat at the kitchen at this time, and Nick, you eat at the kitchen at this time, and then you guys go to school together. Let me ask you something. If my mom wasn't there, like, like, like what if my mom wasn't there? Where did the rules come from? Like, like, would, like who, would, who, who could say with authority that I was right or I was wrong. See, see, this is so important. There has to be an authority in order to have a standard. There has to be an authority in order to have a standard. If there is no God, then there is no moral point of reference. If there is no God, then who determines what is good and what is evil? So if we're honest and we have integrity as we look at this issue, we cannot use the presence of evil and suffering as proof that God doesn't exist. In fact, the opposite is true. Because evil and pain and suffering exist, God exists. Have you ever been to a physical therapy? Maybe you've been to a, a chiropractor. It hurts, right? And it hurts to a point where you have to see them. And so you see them and they do everything they can to get you to where you need to be. And the thing that's going to happen is you're going to get through some pain in order to get better. They want you to go through it, not over it, not under it, but through it, which means that you'll go through pain in order to get better. They believe that something better is coming. Same thing with mental health. So do you have kids? If you have kids, um, I think we're still allowed to do this, discipline our kids. Um, is it be, do you discipline your kids because you hate your kids? 
No, it's because you love your kids. You love them and you don't want them to go down a path of prison and jail and drugs, but you want them to be employed. You want them to be involved in church. You want them to be a good husband or a good wife, a good parent. You want that for them. And you know that you're building a foundation, which means that sometimes you're going to have to say no. And sometimes that means some pain and suffering for them. The presence of pain isn't a lack of love. The presence of real pain is the evidence of real love. L- let, me, let me explain. Like, have you ever asked yourself, why do bad things happen to good people? I'm sure, you, I'm sure we all have wondered that. Like, why does someone who didn't do anything wrong have something bad happen to them? So, how often do you think we're good? I mean, how often do you think we're good? I would say pretty much all the time, along as our good outweighs the bad. We have to understand that the Bible is clear, that we're actually not good people. You're not good. I'm not good. Like, I've heard people say, well, I have a good heart. Like, I'm a good person. Here's the truth. I have a bad heart because my heart leads me to do bad things. I've hurt people. I've done sinful things. I've said things that I wish I hadn't said. I've done things that I wish I hadn't have done. Every single one of us have sinned and we fall short. And scripture says we have fallen short of God's standard of good and perfect. We will not come close to it. In fact, God says this about our hearts. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things, which means that you're going to portray you more than anyone else is going to portray you. You're going to lie to yourself more than anyone else is going to lie to you. He says, desperately wicked, which means that, yeah, you might have some good moments, but our heart is naturally bent towards evil. Like, it's never going to be good permanently. Like, we cannot do that ourselves. He says, who really knows how bad it is? We're constantly in denial. But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So you have Jesus by himself, and then you have all of humanity, all of us. We're all in the same boat with a broken heart needing to be healed. And as we think of Jesus being perfect, He took upon himself all of our sin and all of our shame so that we could have forgiveness. See, Jesus went through the worst punishment for the guilty. He was innocent. Jesus, he was surrendered the glory of heaven and he was born into poverty. Jesus was mocked as a bastard child born to an unwed mom. In fact, there is Jewish literature that labeled Jesus as a bastard. Jesus was rejected by those closest to him, his family, and abandoned by his friends. Jesus was falsely accused when he did nothing wrong. He was wrongly imprisoned. And then he was beaten. He was tortured. He was stripped naked and then hung shamefully on a cross. And worst of all, Jesus was the one who was good. He was the Lamb of God who became sin for us. He was the innocent one who took the sins of the world and he died so that you and I could be forgiven. Jesus did this for you. Jesus did this for us.
And then by doing so, what happened? Think about this. Jesus was separated from the Father because he became sin on our behalf. Like for an eternity past, he had perfect intimacy with God the Father. Now, Jesus, God the Son, was separated from that intimacy with his Father. And he cried out the same question. Maybe you have might, you might have cried before. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? A question that David had asked, a question that Jeremiah asked, a question that Asaph asked. See, God loves you so much that he took your misery and he took your suffering so seriously that he was willing to let his son take it on for you. Because God knew something better was coming. God knew something better was coming. God plan for something better to come. Look, it takes a death to have a resurrection. It takes a hurt to have a healing. Sometimes it takes a loss to overcome the loss and find victory. Sometimes it's out of bondage that you step in and find freedom. And even in the darkness, God is so powerful. He's so good. He's so present that he can even bring the good out of the bad. And that's how good God is. He knows, knows you and he has something better coming it's true the bible does not say that you won't go through a hard time it doesn't say you'll never get hurt in fact it does say that sometimes you're going to be mistreated that you're going to experience something that's not fair it also suffer it also says that we'll suffer we're going to die one day and then one day we will rise I love what Paul writes to a local church. He says, we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Right now we live in the here and the not yet. And what I mean by that is the kingdom is partially here because of the Holy Spirit, but our king isn't here yet. So we're in the here and the not yet. So a lot of tension which means that we don't have those perfect bodies yet. But what it does mean is God provides us a peace of mind that allows us to get up in the morning and live in a broken world. And we have this peace of mind begin to play out in Asaph. Notice after all the questioning and this sort of he unloaded, right? He sums up his song this way. Then I realized that my heart was bitter. See, it's bent towards wickedness. I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. And he knew that the only way that he was able to navigate the challenges of earth, the pain and the suffering that he was going to experience was only through the power of God. If you're hurting, if you're wondering, where is God? Remember, you're living in the here and the not yet. Yes, there is going to be pain and suffering, but something better is coming. The good news is by the power, the grace, and the glory, and the goodness of God, he remains faithful to you, and he provides you the strength to get up in the morning and navigate the challenges of this life. 
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to open up the scriptures to respond to a really important question, a, a question that we've all asked, a question that can be frustrating to get the response to because it's like, ah, I don't want to hear that. But Father, open our hearts to truth. Allow truth to shape us. Allow truth to lead us. Father, I ask that you allow us to understand that our only hope is Jesus. So Father, for those of us who have yet to make a relationship with you public, maybe we're, we're trying to do this on our own. We're trying to have the strength on our own. We're trying to get through our marriage alone. We're trying to get through all of this alone. And without you, God, I pray that you will forgive us, help us to come clean, and help us to surrender to you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, I ask that we will depend on you. We ask that we would not measure our life on what good or what bad has happened to us, but the measurement of our life is what did Jesus do on our behalf that we accepted. So Father, please allow that to be the case with all of us who are followers of Jesus. Help us to recognize that the only hope we have is Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.